it's easy to internalize your failed whatever projects or anything you've attempted and say that that's something that, that makes you who you are. I mean, you are some of your experiences, but to let failure define you is not productive. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure, the show for successful people and for those who want to become successful, the only show that reveals the true nature of success. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr., and today I bring you Dr. Samuel West. Samuel is a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in cognitive behavioral therapy. He became obsessed with psychology and the psychology of happiness, in particular, happiness related to work. And in the middle of his career, he decided he's going to take a break from consulting and go spend five years at Lund University teaching and doing research. And he taught courses on positive psychology and creativity and organizational science. But he did his PhD in organizational psychology focused on how workplace playfulness, that is like experimentation and exploration, how that boosts innovation. And this is where the idea for the Museum of Failure came from. Now, you may remember I interviewed him. Well, if you're a longtime listener, you would remember this. I interviewed him way back in episode 101, okay? So I think 101, Failure 101, Success Through Failure 101. I interviewed him back in July of 2017, so about six years ago. And so much has happened there. He's opened a New York exhibition, which has had incredible success, but there's so much more to the story here that Samuel adds, as well as some super fun and funny and ridiculous innovations. Actually, the first one that he shares here is, I think it's a fantastic idea, but choose for yourself. But since the founding of the museum, he's become a global keynote speaker. And, and this is all really since he and I spoke back in 2017, because he just opened the, his museum over in Sweden in 2016, but he's now a global keynote speaker. He's become a leading expert on helping teams and organizations understand the role of failure for innovation and the role of failure for progress, improving the acceptance of failure, and really appreciating the benefits of psychological safety, which is a workplace term you may be hearing more about. So here we go. My second interview with Dr. Samuel West, the founder and curator of the Museum of failure. What inspired you to create the Museum of Failure? How did this start? And there's two, actually two versions of this. One is I started Museum of Failure because I was so tired of all the success stories that we were force fed by. Likewise, kindred souls here. Can't stand another story of some successful jerk <laughs> saying like, oh, just emulate my life and you can be successful too. I hate that. And there was all like sort of business, new business development, innovation focused stuff. And I was just too much of that. That was one reason. And the second reason was I was fascinated with the research on how difficult it is to deal with the discomfort of talking about failure, but also because we avoid talking about it, how difficult it is to learn from failure. So, and I wanted to find a, a new way of presenting the information. I didn't want to write a book. I didn't want to write some articles. I wanted to do something else. And I couldn't find what that else was. And I stumbled into a museum called Museum of Broken Relationships back in 2016. And then I realized, like, if they can make a museum out of abstract concept of broken relationships, I thought, like, dang, I can do a museum of failure then. And then that's where I started working on that. 
Is it true that when you originally registered the domain name, you actually failed to spell museum correctly? Is that is that a true story? Next question. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's a true story. I got so excited and I was like, oh man, I'm so smart. I got this great idea and I bought the domain and I was just so happy because, you know, most good domains are already taken and I got museumoffailure.com and then I got the confirmation email that said, congratulations, you own museumoffailure.com. So... <laughs> I like to say I'm the only museum founder and curator that can't spell the word museum. <laughs> what are some of the top exhibits? Oh, wow. So there's some that are silly and fun, and then there's other ones that might have some more learning there. Let's go with silly and fun first. Let's hear some of the fun ones. All right, let's take the Euro Club. Euro with a U. I will set the scene here. You're a man, and you're out playing golf, and you have to urinate. What do you do? You can't just go urinate on the grass, right? And there aren't trees everywhere. So you take the Euro Club, which looks like a golf club, but it's, a, it's got a hollow sort of canister inside or in, built in. So you unscrew the top of it and then you just urinate into the golf club. And there's a towel that comes with it. The privacy towel. The privacy towel, you clip onto your belt and then you fumble under the belt to urinate into the golf club, the Euro Club. It's a funny thing. It's funny because it's so silly. But I mean, there was a real reason for it. I mean, if you need to urinate and older we men get, the more we have to urinate. So I mean, it does make a lot of sense. But it's also a strange, funny, silly product. Love that product. What else? What are some other good ones? Another one that gets a lot of attention is uh, the Rejuvenique face mask. It's also a silly one. It's a mask that shocks your face. So it looks like something out of a horror movie. You, it's a beauty treatment and you put conductive gel on about 50 electrodes and then you strap it onto your face and turn it on and it shocks your face and supposedly it rejuvenizes your face and makes you look young. The interesting thing about it is that the spokesperson was Linda Evans from the hit show Dynasty. So basically it's that if you use this for three months, you look as beautiful as a Hollywood movie star. It, it's a funny thing because it looks horrible it looks like something out of a horror film it, i don't know if it works it, can you see does it do i look beautiful yeah you look amazing you look like you've gotten younger since i saw you six years ago <laughs> it's only thanks to rejuvenique <laughs> that's right what about the handheld vinyl record player that never caught on huh it was like a handheld portable record player it's called the sound burger so basically, you had the Walkman to play tape, uh, audio cassettes, and yeah, that's super portable. And then they're like, hey, let's make a portable vinyl player. So it looks like a, the vinyl, when you play it, it sticks out of the device. Right. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know what I can picture it as is if you ever did track and field and there's these measuring tapes where someone holds the end and there's like a handle and a big wheel that the measuring tape spools off of. So it's kind of shaped like that. It's like there's a handle and then there's a big disc sticking out of this thing. Yeah, that's exactly, that's what it is. So to get back to the why it's a failure, the record itself is not protected, right? So it's like hanging on the outside of the, of the device. And then you need a clean, stable surface to play it on. And you can't play it while it's moving. It has to be stable. I mean, it, it just defies the whole purpose of having a portable music player. 
But to its defense, to its defense, the sound burger is a collector's item because it's a high quality a turntable. It's a really good quality one. They got everything right on the quality, but you know, the whole user experience wasn't quite successful. So what are the more educational, informative exhibits that we can learn from? I mean, the, the ones that I think are maybe more interesting for learning are the ones that people are kind of bored with it. But I mean, I love the story of Kodak, you know, inventing the digital cameras in the 70s and then becoming the biggest player and the most you know, innovative, technologically competent and experienced company making digital cameras for consumers. And then they were technologically way advanced and innovative, but they didn't change their business model as the whole world was transitioning to digital. Kodak insisted on making money selling expensive photo paper. They got everything right except the business model, and that's what killed them. Kind of like Blockbuster. Very similar story to Blockbuster. They got everything right, but still got and saw the future, was part of the future of digital streaming, but then you know failed on the actual business model of the whole thing. If innovation is only about tech stuff, it's not. It's about your business model equally, maybe sometimes even more important. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. You know, the Museum of Failure is not really about laughing at, at those who have taken the risk and failed. What's the purpose of it? So the aim of the Museum of Failure is to help people appreciate that failure is essential to progress. And there's no way you can have any kind of progress or innovation without failure. There's no such thing as playing it safe, completely safe, when, when it comes to progress. And if we don't appreciate that, you can't have the good stuff. We wouldn't have these smartphones today as perfect and cheap as they are if there hadn't been thousands of failures before them. You have to accept the bad with the good. So that's one thing. That's accepting failure is important. The second aim is to help us appreciate and understand that we have to learn from our failures. So in order to learn from our failures, we have to be able to discuss them, even if it's uncomfortable. There's a third aim that's sort of grown organically from visitors, which is that many people feel liberated. So like when they see the, you know, the big boys, big companies, these massive companies with unlimited, seemingly unlimited resources and super intelligent people and knowledge of their markets, they still fail when they try new things and when they experiment and explore. And it kind of, people do feel liberated. Like, wow, if these guys can fail, then so can I as an individual or a small business owner. Yeah, and feel validated that, hey, if these really smart people who have huge budgets can fail, it's okay if I do as well. So this was several years ago at the museum, and there was this couple there who spent way too much time at the museum, like more than two hours. They came up to me afterwards, and they're like, oh, Dr. West is such a wonderful, wonderful museum. And I kind of gotten used to that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, thank you. That's good. Thank you. That's, that's awesome. And they're like, no, you don't understand. This has changed our life. I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? Turns out that they were so like inspired by seeing these super experienced, uh, resource strong, resource strong companies fail. They said, like, we own a small bed and breakfast in Barcelona, Spain, and after visiting your museum, we've decided to take a meaningful risk 
finally pause dramatic pause we're going to update our breakfast menu <laughs> isn't it beautiful <laughs> like i mean for them that was a big risk they hadn't taken it and then now they come to me as a failure and they see you know the googles and netflix and whatever they're failing doing their thing and they're like no we can also take a meaningful risk and i thought that was that was beautiful yeah, I thought you were going to say they were, you know, we're going to take on private equity or venture capital. We're going to expand. We're going to create multiple locations. That fresh fruit on our menu. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're going to update the menu. But that's it, right? This like we can be so locked in 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 so many little ways that are almost invisible in our lives that we don't even see, we don't even know, we don't even notice. They're unconscious, and we just go about our day and. We have the safe conversation. We do the thing the way that we've always done it because that's the way we've always done it. And hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If people are showing up and eating breakfast and things are fine, we're, you know, don't fix it. But that's not where innovation comes from. That's not where growth comes from. Definitely, definitely not. You said that one of the purposes, one of the, the goals is to get people to discuss failure, right? And why is that so hard? Why is it hard for us to have a conversation about failure when what you're telling us is that failure is where innovation happens if you discuss it, if you learn from it? I'm going to reflect back for my listeners. If you listen to episode 246 and 247, I interviewed Tim Ferriss, and he said, failure in and of itself does not mean you're going to be successful. Plenty of people go through their entire lives as failures, but it's the learning that comes from failure. Talk about that. Absolutely. There's a YouTube video by one of the founders of Fuck Up Nights um, that does sort of events where they invite people up on stage to talk about their failures. Her main point is that what's the point of failing and failing forward and being all acceptance of failure if you're not actually learning from it? And she says that we should be failing more mindfully, which I think is another way of putting it. Like, you fail, it hurts, it's uncomfortable, it costs money, it costs, you know, prestige, your reputation. There's all kinds of costs to failure. And one of those is the stigmatization of failure. Like if people are not willing to talk about it and, you know, whether it's companies or us as individuals, then that sort of keeps that stigmatization alive. Um, if people were more open about talking about it, I don't think it would be that stigmatized. There's an interesting book. For the listener, we'll have that in the action plan, but go ahead. A historian had written a book where he actually describes that failure as a concept is relatively new. Before the American capitalism sort of grew and everything was measured in terms of financial success, the word failure was something that could only happen to physical objects or like projects. So you could build a bridge and then it, it, it crumbled. So that was a failed project or you could build something and it fails some kind of endeavor with failure, but a person was never a failure. And it wasn't until the whole sort of industrial explosion in, in the United States where people started to call other people failures because of their financial situation or because they made bad decisions money-wise. And I think that's quite interesting where we take it for granted, oh, that you're a failure or you know, you're a loser or you're, you're something negative there because of something you've done. And then that can stay with you for a long time. Yeah, that's the personal side of it. We can feel like a failure when actually if we can simply look at the event or the occurrence, whatever it was, as a failure and actually something that we can learn from. But it's so personal. 
it's emotional. It's okay. Like, I think there's this conversation out there or this sort of feeling in the culture and society that, you know, people buy into this concept of success through failure and, you know, the failure museum and, and sort of the, the purpose of it. Yeah, that, that's great. You know, the Googles of the world, even they fail, but that's how they innovate and that's great. But wait a second, wait a second. I just applied for that job, that promotion. I didn't get it. You know, it's nice for you to fail in Google and these other like, and, and for my kids, you know, I could talk to my kids about it. Hey, you know, you failed in the soccer game, but gosh, you know, yet you, you played a better team and you learn from it. But wait a second, when this happens to me, it's like, okay, there's proof. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable. This success isn't for me. Yeah, exactly. And it's easy to internalize your failed whatever projects or anything you've attempted and say that that's something that, that makes you who you are. I mean, you are some of your experiences, but to let failure define you is not productive. On the one hand, I wish we could go back to the fact that failure was something that humans couldn't be. It was only projects. That would be nice. But I also think about sort of the paradox. On the one hand, society tells us that, you know, we should look up to and admire risk takers, you know, whether it's entrepreneurs, innovators, celebrities, and, and people who take social risk and, and financial risk. So they're rewarded, right? But at the same time, society says, oh, you know, but if you fail, we're going to punish you for that. You know, we're going to judge you negatively. It is a paradox. So Elon Musk, when he's winning, everybody's like, oh, he's so awesome. And then when he, you know, he starts screwing up, then all of a sudden, oh, no, so he's a failure. It's kind of strange, you know, society wants you to be that risk-taking visionary and is, you, we glorify them. But then when things go wrong, we're like, oh, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, we, we want it to be a movie script. Yeah, exactly. You've said it's to the point even where people would rather do nothing than to risk doing something meaningful and failing. Yeah, there's considerable research on like what people are the most fearful of. So I guess public speaking always comes at number one. But if you look at, look at it a little bit more in depth, the fear of failure is right up there on the top three uh, across many, you know, many different studies. And it's a fear of failure, and whether it be you know, a professional failure or a personal failure, it's something we're afraid of. And what I've seen in the past, you know, being immersed in this for at least seven years, is that we overestimate the discomfort of failure. So like, I don't know if you're familiar with anxieties in general, but and anxiety is we're afraid of an imagined future situation that's so bad we can't handle it. You know, so we're afraid of this terrifying fantasy image of the future. It's like Mark Twain said. He said, uh, I'm an old man who's known a great many troubles, most of which never actually happened. Favorite quote of mine. <laughs> I, I think failures in many ways like that as well, that we, we overestimate how horrible it's going to be. And what I like to remind myself and others is that if a risk is worth taking, if it's meaningful, then the eventual discomfort of the failure is also going to be something you can handle and worthwhile. So I, mean, I, think, I think we have to reframe that as well and say, like, yeah, failure is highly likely even sometimes, but that discomfort it will be, is worth it because that goal is worthwhile and meaningful. Before we hit record today in our conversation, I asked you, I said, hey, how's the New York exhibit going? And you said, 
amazing. You said exponentially better than I could have imagined. And that is in contrast to some of your journey that happened after you and I spoke last. Can you share a little bit about your own success through failure journey since we last spoke in 2017? So the media attention for Museum of Failure was insane there, 2017-18. And right well, at the peak there, my ex-business partner sued me as claiming that he owned half of Museum of Failure. So this was a you know, ginormous cluster f- for a better, lack of a better word. And that legal process, he had really good lawyers. And that legal process took about a year of paperwork and just pain in the ass. And it led to my personal bankruptcy, ultimately. And then at the end of it, everything, it was settled and it, nothing happened out of it. So at the end of the day, it, it could have been undone or it should never have happened. But it was painful at the time. And yeah, it was really uncomfortable. But to my point, what I said earlier about we under overestimating the discomfort of failure. At the time, the whole bankruptcy thing, and it was a very public affair as well. It, the pain was there, but I, you know, all my life as an entrepreneur and small business owner, the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is bankruptcy, right? It's like it's worse than death. But then here I was bankrupt publicly. It was bad, but it wasn't nearly as bad as I had ever imagined it to be, not financially or reputation-wise or you know anything else. So I'm not saying, oh, just you know don't worry about it. Everything's okay. It's just like, we do truly overestimate how horrible it is. Samuel, I appreciate you sharing that because it's easy for me to sit over here behind my microphone, you to sit over there as the founder of the Museum of Failure and talk about this stuff. But this happens to us too. And when it does happen to us, it's no less painful it's simply we have to you know take our own medicine and you walk through this experience and what i want to point out to the listener is that this was not the demise of samuel west this was not the demise of the museum of failure as a matter of fact like you said exponentially better more success with this new york it's gotten extended it's so popular this is so it's so cool to hear that you know, whether it's despite failure or sometimes even in our lives, it's because of failure, we can find success on the other side. So sometimes it's despite failure, sometimes it's because of failure. And and here we are on the other side. And it was I was so excited when you said how great it's going. I'm like, ah, like what a what a great story. Now listen, for the listener, sometimes you will find success a you know, a day, a week, or a month later. Sometimes it's it's years later. Well, Steve Jobs said, we can't connect the dots in our lives looking forward. We can only connect the dots in our lives looking backwards. And now we look backwards and we go, you know, it wasn't as painful. And here I am and at you, you've created incredible success. So love, love that story. So thank you for sharing that. So Sammy, your PhD focused on workplace sort of exploration and experimentation or playfulness and how that facilitates progress and how it facilitates innovation can you talk about that in the workplace? We've kind of generally talked about this as sort of a personal failure as a personal thing, but how is it important in the workplace 
to innovate, I'm sorry, well, really to explore and experiment and be okay with failure, obviously at a cautious sort of measured level, of course, but how failure plays a role in success. I'd like to answer that with an example. So I spoke to this many years ago when I was doing research on playfulness at work and a playful approach and how playfulness, which includes experimentation and exploration, is, is something that's uh, conductive and benefits creativity and innovation. Anyway, so the flight, so pilots are not supposed to f up, right? That's like, basically that's what they're there for to make sure things are done correctly and any kind of risks can be avoided. The pilots don't train when they're flying passing. I mean, they have to do everything right. There's no exploration or experimentation going on and there's no room for failure at that point. But when their training is done in a simulator, and in the simulator, they can do all kinds of crazy shit because it's okay. It's a simulator. And one of the findings is that pilots that are playful in the simulator, playful meaning that they're willing to test new things and explore new ways of doing things, they are also much better at handling those emergency situations that are not supposed to happen, right? So... By having that mindset, they are preparing themselves and training the handling of an, of, of an unforeseeable future, which is the whole point of having a pilot in, in, in the front. And then I've talked about that quite a bit. And then I, I was at a conference for uh, doctors a few years ago, and, and I was approached by an eye surgeon. A teach, he, he was a professor of eye surgery, and he said that they, the exact same thing is true for eye surgeons. They can't practice an experiment when they're operating on your eye, but so they practice in a simulator. And his experience was that uh, doctors in training that, are, that only follow the book and never explore or experiment, they don't have a playful attitude towards it, they cannot handle the situations that fall outside of the norm, like the outliers, but the doctors who, who have a playful approach, they can handle the situations that regularly occur that aren't supposed to happen. But a word there to explain having a playful approach does make us more skilled and you know, it practices creative problem solving, but also you know, taking risks and learning from them. And for myself and my listeners, we're all sitting here nodding our heads saying, yeah, that, that makes sense. I get that. Like logically, I can put that together and that makes sense. Can you share any concrete examples or suggestions on how we might do this, especially for the leaders who are listening, but for anybody who's listening, like, how do we actually do this? Have you heard of any companies who do this actively? How do we take this and actually implement this in our workplace? Yeah, that's the million dollar question when it comes to uh, separate it a bit. When it comes to a culture that's accepting of failure, there's some great research on psychological safety. It's a concept that is probably one of the hottest concepts in organizational psychology right now, where it means to create a culture within a team or a work group where being vulnerable is not something that's punished by the team. So you can be vulnerable, you can bring your full self to the to the workplace, which also includes owning up to your failures, asking the stupid questions, etc., not knowing things you probably should. That's probably how um, I would say how 
focusing on psychological safety is how the corporate side of things is leaning in the right direction. For us as privately or as individuals, I'm a big believer in playfulness and a playful approach to what we do, to our relationships, to being a parent, to being a partner, whatever, any aspect of our lives. If we can experiment in non-critical situations and experiment with new behaviors and new ways of doing things and, and learn from that feedback loop, then I can't think of a better way of conducting or doing personal development than testing things and seeing what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can role model it. And, you know, I'm thinking about myself now for as, as a father of four children and in my business, like how can I role model failure and, you know, that playfulness and that growth that can come from failure. And, and for you leaders out there, like how can you step up and point out your own failures and even what you learned from it? Maybe even find somebody on your team who has tried something recently and they failed from it and ask them, maybe pull them aside and before the meeting and don't just throw them under the bus, but ask them, you know, can I share this? And can you talk about some of the learnings from it and how, you know, we need to use this type of experience to learn and to grow and to innovate. I mean, have, like Samuel said, discussions on this. Don't brush it under the rug. Don't whisper about it in corners, bring it out into the open and create a, a psychologically safe environment where growth and innovation can happen. People will be happier. And guess what? You're going to make more money and your business is going to be more successful. Win-win. Definitely. Win-win all the way around. And it's a more fun place to work. Samuel, for those who want to check out the Museum of Failure or find you, follow you, otherwise engage with you, where do they go? Best is museumoffailure.com. Right now, the, the show is in Brooklyn. And then it continues the tour to the major cities in the United States. And I'm horrible at LinkedIn and social media. So don't bother. Just send me an email. <laughs> Excellent. Samuel, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Keep up doing the amazing work that you're doing through the Museum of Failure. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, Let's Talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app if you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.